Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Doviak. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Hello and welcome to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak and I'm a certified financial planner practitioner. This is a show for you to help you understand your money better. And we're really going to focus this week on earnings. When companies release their earnings, what does that mean? What can we do with the data? And how are the earnings expected to go? And how have they been going so far since the pandemic began? There's some really interesting things that are going to come out of that. I'm also going to talk about an update on how you pay back the PPP, the Payroll Protection Program, if you took part in that as part of the CARES Act. So we're going to look at that in this week's show as well. But let's get started with some market data. And this is for the week that ended October 9th, 2020. It was a great week in the stock market, in spite of how it looked like you'd turn on one day, it's up 500, the next day it's down 500. Well, most of the decline actually didn't happen last week. It was the preceding week. So last week, the Dow went up a little over three and a quarter percent. The S&P 500 did better than that, up over three and three quarters percent. And the winner of the week was the NASDAQ, up a little over than four and a half percent. Those are huge weekly market gains. When you think in terms of the long-term average of um, for a year, the market to go up, it's 11 percent. So when you have a week that you're up three and four percent, that's a tremendously major gain. Even gold got in on the act, up a little over three quarters of a percent. West Texas Intermediate Crude was up about two and a half percent. The 10-year Treasury yield is up, probably as a function of the markets doing well, because yields tend to drop when lots of people are buying bonds, and you don't have to pay them as much to get them to buy it. So this week, because the market was doing so well, the treasury yield went up a little bit to entice purchasers. So it was up 7.89%. The dollar was down a little less than half a percent. Remember, we've been tracking the dollar recently. Just because there was so much news earlier in the year about, oh, what's happening with the dollar? And the answer is pretty much it's rocking along like it always does. Now, when I was looking at the market data for this segment, I found something really interesting and it's related to earnings. I wanted to share it with you. We generally think of the market as being the S&P 500, right? We think of it as an index and so we look at how the index is doing. Except when you break that index apart, you find out that the companies in the S&P 500 have done really differently since February when the pandemic started. So if you look at the market cap change, so basically how much it went up since February 19th, you see that the top 100, the 100 biggest companies went up by 3.8%. However, for the next 100, so um, companies 100 to 200, it went down by 3.9. 200 to 300 went down by 
300 to 400 went down by 6.7, and 400 to 500 went down 26.6%. So what you see is this great market rally that we've been having is not a function of a fabulous overall economy. It's, a, it's, it's the result of the top 100 biggest companies doing great and everything else struggling. So I think it's important to know that. I think it's important to realize that, yes, the market is doing well. But I've said on other episodes of the radio show and the podcast, just because the market's doing well doesn't mean the economy is doing well. And I think this breakdown that the only place there's actually good news is the top 100 companies of the S&P 500 and everything else is down. Now, the data that I saw didn't go into mid cap and small cap. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that if there are winners in those sectors at all, it would be a very few companies because the 100 to 500 is company size and mid cap is smaller than large cap and obviously small cap is smaller than mid cap. So if you're in a lot of trouble by stocks 400 to 500, I'm guessing the earnings of the other companies aren't going to be a lot better. So just keep that in mind. Yes, it looks great. I'm really glad the market's going up, but we need to be careful that we don't read too much into it. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the legislative update of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And I have two really interesting things to share with you today. First, do you remember that last year the SECURE Act passed? And one of the pieces of the SECURE Act allows you to make a contribution to a traditional IRA after you're 70 and a half, assuming you have earned income. That's a change. Prior to the SECURE Act, you weren't allowed to put money into a traditional IRA after age 70 and a half. But Congress decided that people are working later and there really isn't a reason not to allow it. So now, in addition to funding your Roth, you can also fund your traditional IRA. The SECURE Act also changed the required minimum distribution age from 70 and a half to 72. So now it's theoretically possible that you're working and so you want to fund your IRA and you're over 72 and you need to take a required minimum distribution. So how do you do it? Well, the IRS issued some clarification last week. Apparently, you have to go ahead and fund the IRA, the deductible IRA, to however much you want to put in. Additionally, you have to take the entire amount of required minimum distribution out. Apparently, some people were trying to net these numbers, and it makes sense, especially from our perspective. It'd be much easier to say, okay, well, I owe you $100 RMD, and I wanted to put in $200, so here, let's just do the $100 that's the net difference. The problem is that would be unbelievably difficult for the IRS to track. Remember, the IRS knows how much RMD you're supposed to take. And there is a huge penalty if you fail to take enough money. It's a 50% penalty of the amount that you didn't take that you were supposed to take. 
So now what they're saying is you put in the entire contribution, you take out the entire RMD, there's still the net result generally to you probably of getting, um, putting in more money than you're taking out. And even if that's not the case in your particular situation, you would at least be able to continue to put money so you're not stripping the account so quickly. So don't net it. Make sure you talk to your CPA. You know, everything in the tax code right now kind of feels like a moving target. So make sure that you talk to your own personal tax professional before you try to do this. But generally, you put in as much money as you wanted to put in and you take out the amount you required to take out. The second piece of legislative news this week has to do with the cost of living adjustment in Social Security benefits. Remember that Social Security benefits go up when inflation goes up. And this is actually inflation that's called the Consumer Price Index for Urban Wage Earners and Clerical Workers. So if that seems really long, call it CPIW. So when CPIW doesn't go up, then you don't get a cost of living adjustment in your Social Security. If CPIW does go up, that's when you get the cost of living adjustment in your Social Security. Now, there's something kind of peculiar about CPIW, and it's what it includes and it's what it excludes. So CPIW actually gives greater weight to items like gasoline and electronics purchases. So those impact the, um, the inflation number. However, it puts less weighting in housing and medical expenses. So, you know, unfortunately, this particular measure of inflation that they've chosen doesn't really work to senior citizens' advantages because most senior citizens that I know are a little more worried about the cost of their health coverage and their health expenses than they are the price of a new iPhone. But be that as it may, it's the measure we've got and at least Social Security has an inflation adjustment. So, When they decided how much, when they made the calculation to see how much inflation adjustment would be for 2021, the number came to 1.3%. So that would mean that you should get a 1.3% inflation adjustment to your Social Security benefit. However, there is a bill out there because so many people have been hurt so badly by COVID to give a 3% inflation adjustment instead. So basically it's ignoring the CPI number and instead it's just opting to give the bigger benefit of the 3% inflation adjustment. Now, what I was reading makes it sound like this really is going to happen, but I haven't seen full legislation come through on it yet. So I'll keep my eyes open. I will share it with you guys as soon as I have confirmation of this. I hope it happens because it would really be helpful to people to get a 3% bump in their Social Security rather than a 1.3% bump. But we'll just have to wait and see what happens as the news gets more clear. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Plan Your Prosperity segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And it seems like we've lost so many people in 2020. 
both through the coronavirus as well as just other tragic deaths. And one of the saddest to me was the death of Chadwick Boseman because he was young, because he was so talented, such a great role model in Black Panther as well as some other movies and completely unrelated to finance. If you haven't seen the movie Marshall, which is the story of Thurgood Marshall, where he played um, Thurgood Marshall, you should go ahead and watch that movie because it's a really, really good movie. So um, in, in addition to financial advice, let me give you a movie tip this week as well so that if all you've seen Chadwick Boseman in is Black Panther, you really should check out the rest of his work because he's truly, truly incredible, truly amazing, such a marvelous role model. But he made a mistake. He did not create an estate plan before he died. And you hear of this happening all the time with celebrities. And the reason you hear about it with celebrities is if you and I die without a will, we just don't make the evening news. The truth is people are dying in test state, which is the legal term for without a proper estate plan all of the time. In an article, and I'll include the link to it, um, it says that a third of the people had a will in 2020, 24% less than in 2017. So people are not getting wills as rapidly as they were. And when you die without a will, you subject your estate to probate. And it all depends upon the situation, how much of a storm that can become. Now, on the very best way of dealing with probate, it's time-consuming. It's where the court goes through and determines where all of your assets should go. So that if you have debt, the debtors can lay claim to some of your estate through the probate process. If multiple people think that they're entitled to your money, this is where it becomes very complicated and the court decides who will get your inheritance. Now, the article about Chadwick Boseman does not suggest that this is going to become the disaster that it has become when some celebrities have died. Because there have been cases where children have claimed to be children, and then they go in and they lay claim to part of the estate. There have been ex-spouses, there have been current spouses, just all kinds of horrible things can happen when you die without a will, when you die without that document that says how your assets are supposed to be determined. So I'm really hoping that that doesn't happen. And in this case, Chadwick Boseman had very recently married his girlfriend. So it looks like probably this is just a technical situation, but it opens the door to problems. Several places become really thorny if you die without a will. The number one reason why young people with children should really consider getting a will is their children. Who do you want to raise your children if something happens to you? Because if you don't set those terms out in your estate plan, then the court will decide who raises your children. 
Sometimes it's not a big deal. You've died and the most logical, legally, um, the, the legal person who would take your children is who you'd want to have them. But sometimes that's not the case. So sometimes you have children from an ex-spouse. You really want that child being raised by your mother or by your current spouse. And that isn't necessarily going to happen if you don't have the documents in place that say that's what you want. I also know that sometimes the question of who's going to raise the children can cause real crises within a family where maybe two or three family members would like to raise the child. And so the parents deal with this by not creating an estate plan at all because they don't want to make anybody mad. Let me remind you that if something goes wrong, this is the absolutely worst thing you can do because none of those people will get to decide which one of them raises your child. It will be the court. And the court follows very strict lines of succession in making these decisions. So ideally, you sit everybody down in the same room at the same time and you have a conversation. If you can't do that, then talk to the person that you want to raise your child. Do not surprise them with this in your will. That would be a very uncool thing to do. But sit down with that person alone and tell them what your concerns are and ask them if they would be willing to take this on. Then put that information into your will. If you can't have the family conversation, don't have it. If nothing happens to you, nobody needs to know what you did. But if something does happen to you, it'll be an outright nightmare at that point, trying to sort it out. And your child will be upset already because something has happened to you. You don't want to make it worse by putting them in the middle of a family fight. So you owe it to your child. You owe it to the person that you want to raise your child. And then you try to deal with everyone else in the way that causes the least amount of problems. The next thing that becomes problematic when someone has died and doesn't have a will is when there are blended families. So if you are married and then divorced and then now you've remarried, you need to be very sure that your estate says how you want your assets to be divided. So blended families almost always require an estate plan. Maybe if you're marrying later in life, the estate plan wants to be sure that your children receive an inheritance and it doesn't all go to your new spouse because that can be a situation as well. So it's really, really important to go ahead and do this. You know, and the, same, the, the shame about Chadwick Bozeman is he knew he was dying. And so not having an estate plan at first doesn't make a lot of sense. But trust me, I've sat across the desk from many, many people who have their money together at a level it makes my head spin. Okay, they're fabulous. They've got it all going on. They've got the emergency fund. They've got a wonderfully diversified portfolio. They're saving enough for retirement. They've minimized their taxes. And I ask them if they have an estate plan. And they just kind of look at the floor or they look at the ceiling. I think we don't like to talk about it. 
I think somehow we think if we create an estate plan, it's bad luck, that somehow we're borrowing trouble, that somehow our actions are going to lead to us maybe having an accident and dying. We're so death-phobic that we don't want to talk about it. But the very best gift you can give those people that you love is the peace of mind of not having to deal with a bunch of garbage after you've died. It isn't bad luck. Yes, it costs a little money. It doesn't cost that much. My opinion, always use an estate attorney because there's too many situations where states have their own rules, and sometimes the stuff you find online works, sometimes the stuff you find online doesn't work. And if you're not an attorney yourself, you're not going to know when you look at it if it's the right thing or the wrong thing. So I think it's absolutely worth the money to talk to an estate attorney, get an estate plan. Now, we're talking about wills today, and the will is a super basic piece of your estate plan. Maybe you need a trust. Maybe you don't. I'm going to leave that to the attorneys. I'm very uncomfortable even offering an opinion there because I think that's a very complicated decision. But a power of attorney for finance, a power of attorney for health care, so that those people around you could help you make financial decisions or simply pay bills and access your bank account to be able to pay your mortgage if you're not dead but you're incapacitated or having the ability to make healthcare decisions on your behalf. Those are really important documents to have in place. And then finally, an advanced directive or a living will concerns your end-of-life decisions of food, of water, you know, hydration, nutrition, what do you want? It's not a moral document. You can put anything you want in your living will. But it stops your family from having to make really excruciatingly painful decisions. So if you don't have an estate plan put together yet, I really think it would be a great thing for you to take some time and do. You know, this year it's hard to get out and do Christmas shopping anyway. So having your estate plan in order is a very weird but not a bad Christmas gift to have taken care of for those people that you love so that they don't have to deal with it when they're already heartbroken about having lost you. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And today's question is very closely related to what we were talking about in the last session on how to avoid probate. Today's question is, Peggy, what's a transfer on death account? Well, let's start out by talking about other kinds of accounts. Let's assume that you have an IRA, an individual retirement account. Your individual retirement account has a beneficiary on it. If you have a retirement plan at work, it has a beneficiary on it. Because those accounts have beneficiaries, they avoid the probate process. If you own something with someone in joint tenancy, joint tenancy with right of survivorship, if something happens to you, the other person automatically has the asset. Again, because of the titling, it passes outside of probate. 
But not everything actually works with a beneficiary or through titling. So if you have a bank account and you're not married and you don't want the person to have access to the money in your account right now, but you want them to be able to inherit it when you die without passing through the probate process, you can set up something called a transfer on death account. While you're alive, the asset is yours. The person that you list as the beneficiary through the transfer on death does not have access to the money. They do not have access to an asset if you set it up through transfer on death. This may be a really good decision on your part. I've heard just enough horror stories of people who had their name put on someone's account through a joint tenancy because they were trying to avoid the probate situation. And then that person whose name is on the account takes advantage of the situation or their name goes on a house and they sold the house out from under the other person. So you have to be really careful sometimes who you give access to your money. So with a transfer on death, until you die, that account is yours. It's 100% yours to do anything you want to do. But then on your death, that account transfers to the other person. You may sometimes hear a transfer on death called a poor man's trust. I don't like that description because there's many things that a trust allows you to do that simply cannot be accomplished through a transfer on death account. So don't think that a transfer on death is a substitute for a trust. You may need a trust where you could also put that asset and then it would be held and would go to the other person outside of the probate process. So just because you're doing a TOD doesn't necessarily mean you don't need a trust. You need to talk to an estate attorney. You need to talk to your financial planner. You need to talk to your CPA as you try to make those more complex financial decisions. But if you have a bank account and it's just in your name, or if you have an investment account and it's just in your name. So it's an after-tax, you just put money in the stock market, you've got this investment account, you're the only name on it. If you make that account a transfer on death, it takes it out of the probate process and puts a beneficiary on it. So it's something to at least consider doing if you're trying to make sure that your assets pass outside of probate as much as possible, which is what most people really want to have happen in most cases. Now, it's an official document. You would have to refill out whatever the application for the investment account was, or you'd have to go to the bank and make sure everything's set up. You can't just decide you're doing this. There's legal documents that have to go through it. And sometimes when you choose a non-spouse beneficiary, a spouse has to sign off. So just make sure you do everything correctly, and then you'll have everything set up the way you wanted it done. So 
that's it for that. And so a transfer on death is is a really great way to handle it. It's the follow-up on having the will that we talked about in the last section, just making sure that everything that you have goes the way you want it to go. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, you can go to askpeggy.com. That's A-S-K-P-E-G-G-Y dot com. And you'll find a link on the homepage of the website where you can submit your question. And then I'll get in contact with you and make sure there aren't some details that are really important to getting a good answer. And then I'll craft an answer that can be educational for the listeners. Remember on the show, I can never give investment advice because I don't know people's financial details in enough enough certainty to be able to do it. But generally, I try to provide financial education so that you can take the information and then go talk to your own financial team to help you make the best decisions possible. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money.